Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I can't believe it. We're, let's see, about a quarter of the way through, well, something like that, through August. And I'm about a quarter of the way through my 40-day water fast. Oh, goodness. Pray for me. I'm doing it for missionary purposes and for holiness purposes. And boy, I got to tell you, nine days, 10 days in, I got a ton of stories to tell. I'm not going to tell them today, though. Today, I have the last talk on confession, uh, that series, which I'm excited to bring you. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you and thank you and praise you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of the sacraments where you come and meet us and pour forth, communicate to us a share in your own divine life. I thank you, Lord, that you meet us at those places where we have betrayed you, failed to love you, failed to honor you. Lord, give us the grace today to once again go deeper into an appreciation and taking action with regards to this gift of the sacrament of healing, which is confirmation, not confirmation, <laughs> confession. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is it. We've gotten through the five sentences. I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it and I'll never do it again. Well, we're, we are at the the end. And now it's time to go to confession. So get ready for my final talk where I dig into the actual act of going to confession. So uh, enjoy that. And this is the final talk. Welcome to our seventh and final session on confession, five sentences that will heal your life. On your mark, get set, go. You know, and uh, you think about that, uh, you hear that at the start of a race, right? And uh, runners are getting ready and they're training all for the big day, for the big moment when they're going to uh, actually run the race. Uh, in this book on confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life, we titled the book as having three parts. On Your Mark was all about getting Catholics to see, getting Catholics to recognize what confession is, this sacrament of reconciliation, as a, a, a place of healing, as a sacrament of healing, as a place where Christ has promised to meet us precisely in order to set us free, to heal us from our spiritual disease, sin. And uh, so that was kind of the, the visionary part of, of On Your Mark. Get everybody kind of coordinated and set on the right starting line. The, the, the main body of the work is, was get set. And it was there that we explored the five acts that the penitent does. Uh, everything from confession, I did it, contrition, I'm sorry, petition, forgive me, satisfaction, I will make up for it, and resolution, I will never do it again. And that's all good as far as it goes. 
But it's only good if it goes far enough, namely, if you actually go to confession. <laughs> and so today in this presentation, uh, the final, we're entering the final part of the book, but it's only one short chapter. And the heading of the chapter is realization. Realization, that practice makes perfect. It's not going to be good. Uh, it's not going to be sufficient for us if we only understand what the sacrament is. But if we actually engage, if we actually go, it's not enough to understand that there is a starting line and then we get to it. It's not enough simply to get set unless we go. Well, in this last presentation, I'm going to explore nine questions. These are the most commonly asked questions that I have been asked as a result of discussions I've had through the years on the Sacrament of Reconciliation about obstacles that still remain in the way for people actually going. So I'm going to begin with a prayer and then I'm going to explore the uh, nine questions that are most commonly asked to me that, that are the final obstacles or hurdles that remain to getting across that finish line and actually running the race. So let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a quote from St. Francis de Sales. Have patience with all things, but chiefly have patience with yourself. Do not lose courage in considering your own imperfections, but instantly set about remedying them. Every day begin the task anew. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and we do thank you and praise you for the gift of the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Lord, I beg and I plead and I ask that the gift of your Holy Spirit would be stirred within our hearts and in our minds, that we might come to uh, face and, and get beyond any and every obstacle that would hold us back or hold back those we love from encountering you, Jesus, and your healing purposes in this great sacrament. Lord, increase with us the vigor, the desire, and the, the, uh, the intention of going to confession. Lord, we thank you for all that you offer us there. And Lord, I just ask and I pray a blessing upon us, upon this time, and upon this presentation. Mother Mary, pray for us. We place this entirely in your hands as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's so fascinating that after hearing the presentation that I make on Confession Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life, there is still these obstacles, these hurdles that exist in people's minds regarding going to confession. And so I'm going to just start clicking them off one at a time, taking a look at the different questions that people have. And uh, and, and hopefully providing a sufficient response to remove that obstacle, to get beyond that hurdle. Well, the first question is, do I really need to go to confession regularly, if at all? You know, and, and you know, it's kind of like, what more can I do, please, to help you understand than I've put into seven presentations or 240 pages in a book or 215 pages in a book up to this point? And at the end of the day, if I had to try to synthesize it all down, if I had to try to condense it down to the simplest perspective at all, it would be the perspective that I began with that is drawn from our tradition. Sin is a disease. Confession is the cure. It's that simple. 
if you have any awareness at all that sin is an issue for your life, that not honoring God and his will, purpose, and plan for your life, not honoring that relationship by returning love for love, not obeying the voice of God, if that at all is an issue in your mind, then you could be concerned or should be concerned or might be wondering, how do I address this? Confession is the doctor's office that addresses the spiritual disease of sin. We have no problem going to the doctor, seeing the doctor, telling him our condition when we have our problem. So also going to confession is that place where we meet the divine physician at work in his ordained minister, in his ordained son, the priest, who is there precisely to minister healing for our disease. Now, this presumes, of course, that you or the person we're talking to has a level of awareness, sees himself or herself in the need, having a need for a spiritual cure for a spiritual disease. If you lack that, then I just give you the words of Father Brown, the priest detective in the G.K. Chesterton uh, series of Father Brown Mysteries. When he was talking with his colleague, then colleague Flambeau, when he proposed the question to him, can it cure the one spiritual disease? Asked Father Brown with a serious curiosity. And what is the one spiritual disease? Asked Flambeau, smiling. Oh, thinking one is quite well, said his friend. If you don't see yourself entangled in a way of living, thinking, acting, avoiding, if you don't see yourself with any kind of awareness that there are things that are stumbling blocks for you in your relationship with God, self-imposed or self-chosen, then you need to get in the car and drive to the emergency, like you're driving to the emergency room because the disease is advanced. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Okay. Uh, just to say, pray for the awareness. I've done that. I've actually said, Lord, one of the effects of sin is that it blinds me to its own existence. And you can see that just looking around in, in life. You know, have you ever been at a party or among a group of friends and you see someone talking to someone else in a certain way or a, a couple, a married couple, talking in a certain way or treating each other in a certain way? And you're like, does he have any idea how that looks? Does he have any awareness at all of how belittling that way of treating his wife is? And the simple answer is, no, he does not. There's a blindness that sin brings about. So I've prayed this prayer and I encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, I beg you, I plead that you would strip me of the blindness in my awareness of the sin that clings to me. Lord, if there is a sin in my life that I'm blind to, please, I beg you, strip me of my blindness. Break in and make me aware. And so I can remember praying this prayer. And uh, that uh, shortly after that, I had a dream at night. Now, I'm not kind of a dream guy. Some people are dream guys. They, they, you know, God speaks to them in dreams and they remember their dreams. I don't remember my dreams almost ever. Well, this one particular night, I had this vivid dream. It was so vivid. When I woke up, it was so clear in my mind. It was the simplest and almost oddest thing. I was in a store and I was buying some shoes. And I went up to the counter and I had kind of a... Uh, kind of had a, a objective view. I was watching myself buy the shoes and interact with the people. 
And in the course of the buying of the shoes, I kind of cut off the other people in line, got up to the front and started interacting with the person I was buying the shoes from. And it was ugly. I was so arrogant and proud and self-important in the way that I was engaging with this, uh, this person trying to serve me and buying the shoes. And I just saw how ugly, <laughs> how ugly it was that I was buying the shoes in this mode. When I, uh, when I woke up, I, I saw this vivid memory of this dream that I had. And I can remember telling Carrie, I said, Carrie, I said, and I told her about this dream. And I said, I cannot believe how self-important and arrogant and, uh, and proud I was uh, in this dream. And I said, I had no idea that I was like that. Uh, and Carrie said, I did. <laughs> Like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Help me become aware of times in my life when I'm self-important or arrogant or proud. And, um, you know, and, and it's a fascinating thing to stop and think about this, that those sins that are the nearest to us, that are kind of the deepest in us, we're blind to them. And it's God in his mercy that reveals it to us. So I do encourage you to say that prayer, but you might want to tag on to the end of it. Lord, reveal to me, strip me of the blindness to my own sins, but do it gently. <laughs> you may want to tag that on to the end so that you don't get vivid dreams like me and end up feeling convicted and, and repentant of, of these sinful attitudes. And I'm so grateful to God that I repented of them and they no longer exist in me. So I've totally overcome the... <laughs> I'm on the way, folks. I'm on the way. So do we really need to go to confession? Hopefully, you've come to an awareness of your need even a desperate need to turn to this source of healing for our lives. If you don't see it, please beg the Lord that, that he would reveal it to you. He'd strip you of the blindness in your own mind of uh, regarding the need to go get a spiritual cure for your condition. This leads to the second question. Okay, I might recognize my need to turn to God and ask for forgiveness, might turn to God in true sorrow and cry out for forgiveness, petition him for forgiveness, even cry out that I'll make up for it and resolve never to do it again. But why go to confession to a priest? Why can't I just express this sorrow privately in a hidden way in my room? What is it? Isn't this kind of a strategy that the Catholic Church has to kind of keep the people feeling humble? Uh, isn't it kind of a, a shaming activity? Is, it, is, is this kind of what's going on there, psychologically unhealthy? Why do I have to go to confession to a priest? Why can't I just ask God for forgiveness? God knows my heart, right? Well, the simple proposal, let me give you the simple answer, and then I'm going to answer it, and I'm going to answer this question in five ways. And so the first and simplest is this. Go and be forgiven in the place where Christ has promised to meet you. Christ has promised to meet you with healing grace, healing power in the sacrament. That's the first and simplest reason I can say is go where he has promised to meet you without omitting the former. In other words, I've been laying out a vision in this book for living a confessional life, which involves incorporating these five sentences. I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it. I'll never do it again. As part of our daily walk with the Lord as a disciple. I'm your follower, Lord. And each and every day I'm trying to confess with my whole life my faith in God, in God's glory, 
that I'm confessing and at the same time, in the light of God's glory, confessing my own misery before God without God. And so these five sentences, as they get rooted in our lives, it'll become a, a very natural thing for us to be crying out to God for forgiveness. I can't think of how many times a day, honestly, how many times a day I turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, ask for mercy, ask for resolve, uh, make a decision to make up for it. These sentences become woven into the fabric of our relationship with the Lord. Now, with that said, let me give you a second, uh, a second point that, that might provide a bit of an analogy for you. You know, why go to confession when I can just pray on my own? Well, let's use, let's use the, the concept of another sacrament, uh, the Eucharist, going to Mass. Why go to Mass when I can commemorate the Lord's gift given to us in the Last Supper by just taking my Bible and reading that section of Matthew 26 or Luke 24 or 22 or Mark 13, 14. You know, these places in the Gospels where there's the account of the Last Supper and Jesus offering himself to us. Why can't I just take some bread and wine in my own room, read the prayers and reflect and then commune in a spiritual manner with Jesus Christ? who gave himself to us in bread and wine. Well, if you're Catholic at all, you have a sense of saying, well, I see how radically different that is between just doing that in my room and going to Mass. Mass is this great sacrament. Well, let me say theologically the difference is I can do this in my home. And maybe I do reflect on these great passages in the scriptures and maybe even involve not only a, a meditative reflection, but maybe even involve some bread and wine as a kind of uh, sacramental, not, not the sacrament, but a way of, of recalling to mind in a kind of a spiritual communing with what the Lord did for me. But you can see the difference between my doing that and my coming to Mass. In, in the book I wrote on the Mass, Mass for Encounters with Jesus That Will Change Your Life, one of the things we discover is that at Mass, it's Jesus who's the primary actor. We're drawn into his action at Mass. And it's in his action that we're going to encounter him coming to us with his sanctifying grace, with this sacramental grace, the grace that will transform our lives. You see the radical difference between the encounter with Christ in the sacraments and the encounter with Christ, that's a true encounter in prayer, even the prayerful reading of scriptures. That's a second reason why I would propose it's so fundamentally important to go to confession, that it's a sacramental encounter. It's an encounter with Christ in one of those places where he's promised to meet us. Which brings me to the third reason. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com.
Why would I say it's so important to go to confession to a priest rather than just, just only, not, not either or, but if, if I only ask God for forgiveness outside of confession, because I'm saying do that anyways, right? Do that in addition to. But, but why go to confession? Well, if you've ever offended someone or if someone's ever offended you and you want to reconcile with that person, you might say to them, you know, will you meet me for coffee? Meet me at the coffee shop and, and I'd like to talk with you. Or come on over to my house and let's have a conversation. And the hope you have is to reconcile with that person or to let that person know you forgive them. You give them a fresh start, a new beginning in the relationship. In a certain sense, the person offended you'd expect to be a bit docile, a bit open to be led regarding the manner of the reconciliation, right? If that person said, no, I refuse to meet you at the coffee shop. If you want to be reconciled with me, you have to come to my house. Then you'd say, whoa, who is it that offended whom here? In, when we sin, when we fail to honor God, fail the relationship, disobey, betray the, the heart of God and his love. You see what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sin here. Why wouldn't we go to the place where Jesus invites us to go to be healed of this healed in this relationship, to be restored to the relationship. It's a Jesus that we've offended. And so when we say, Jesus, I want to be reconciled with you, why wouldn't we go to the place that he has established we go in order to be forgiven? Well, wait a minute, Tom. What you're saying then is, is that Jesus has established confession as the place we go in order to be forgiven. The right answer is yes. That is the special sacramental place where he asks us to go. I'm not saying that Jesus left architectural designs for confessionals in the hands of his apostles, but what did he leave in the hands of his apostles? The ministry of reconciling sinners to God. Well, where did that happen? Easter Sunday night, John chapter 20, very famous passage of scripture. He appears in the upper room to his 12 apostles. And what does he say? First of all, he appears through the closed doors. He shows them his wounds. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Very important. Let's hear that. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. This concept of breathing on them the, uh, the Holy Spirit is an impartation of divine power in order to accomplish a supernatural mission. This idea of breathing, the, the breath, is, is, it's as if it's a new creation that's happening here. There's a new creation that's happening, and, and the church sees in this encounter the ordination of the apostles. The, the, literally, they're coming to experience a sacramental union with Christ, the high priest, the one high priest. Jesus Christ was sent from the Father to do what? to bring the kingdom of God into, into earth, to repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here now through the very person of Christ showing up. And Jesus is Jesus manifesting and displaying, demonstrating the kingdom takes on many forms. One of the most powerful forms is in this restor restoring sinners to God, the forgiveness of sins. In fact, those who saw Jesus forgive sins were offended by that and even considered a blasphemous act. Why? Only the one offended by sin 
can forgive the sin. Well, Jesus saying, I forgive you, is displaying a, uh, a sign before the people that he is the one offended when God is offended. He is the son of God. He is God among us. God with us, Emmanuel. Now, Jesus hands on this act of reconciling sinners to God. They have damaged or broken that relationship. God wants that relationship restored. So Jesus, the good shepherd, leaves heaven, leaves the 99, leaves the angels to come down to rescue all of humanity. He does that on the cross. He shows them his wounds. It's by his wounds that we are going to be healed. By his wounds, through his death, and now by the power of his resurrection, we would overcome all that is a, a spiritual sickness and disease that could leave us spiritually dead, namely sin and its consequences. And so now there Jesus intends this ministry to be extended into history, extended down through the ages. Jesus continues to seek out the lost sheep to bring the lost sheep home. He continues to extend his hands down through the ages, down through the millennia to bring lost sheep home. How is he doing it? The powerful way that he is reconciling sinners to himself is through that sacramental encounter that he established through the ministry of reconciliation of priests in confession. And so what do we see? We see the apostles going off and doing what Jesus did, proclaiming the gospel, uh, uh, not only proclaiming the gospel, but calling forth a response from people that gathered around and ministering salvation to them. How? Well, Jesus calls for faith. And in the, in the early church, this gets translated into baptism, this sacrament of faith. Jesus uh, gathered his apostles uh, in the upper room and, uh, and establishes the Eucharist. And what happens when the church gathers? They break bread together. And so also we see, growing in history, the emergence of this sacramental encounter with the ministry of reconciling sinners to, uh, to himself in confession. And so we see, over the course of centuries, the growth of the practice of going to confession in a one-on-one -on -one setting. So why do we go to confession to a priest? Because in the priest, Christ the priest is at work, reconciling, offering you forgiveness of your sins because he's entrusted that very power, that authority into the hands of those he's ordained in the, into, in the hands of the apostles and their successors down through the ages. So then the, the, um, the last, the last one is, um, uh, why would I go to confession rather than just asking God for forgiveness uh, on my own? And this has to do with the nature of uh, dealing with a disease. If you have a serious illness, you don't just call your doctor up and the doctor doesn't just dispense medicine through the phone. You actually go to the doctor's office, you explain, you bring out into the open what your disease is, and then the doctor can diagnose clearly and he can dispense the right, uh, the right medication, the right medicine to deal, the right treatment to deal with your disease. And so that's another reason why we go to confession, because we go to the place where we can get the right treatment for what it is that ails us. Hopefully those five reasons are sufficient to remove the blockage or the obstacle to saying, you know, I, uh, I understand better why it's important to go to a priest. Let me give you the existential approach, and that is try it. Try it, and then you'll be convinced. It's kind of like uh, in an earlier uh, presentation, I talked about the importance and power of fasting as a means of doing penance. 
At the end of the day, you're not going to get fasting until you fast. Until fasting gets you, you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand the power of the Holy Spirit by reading about it, but by having the power of the Holy Spirit rest on you and be at work in you. So also, if you, if you still feel like there's an obstacle or a blockage to going to a priest to confess your sins, all I can say is this. Is there a sufficient, is there a sufficient path for you to say, you know what? I'm going to humbly admit I'm just not going to get it until I do it. And it's when you encounter Christ in that healing sacrament that you'll in fact overcome the final obstacle to doing it altogether. Which leads me to the third question. Well, I haven't been to confession in a long time. How can I face my parish priest? Now, the reason why you haven't gone in a long time, I've found that there are several reasons. I've come up with, I think, four top reasons when they'll say, well, I've been to confession in a long time. I'll say, well, why? Well, the first one is, I went when I was younger and I had a bad experience, right? I had a bad experience. And somehow that experience becomes my well, I hate to call it this, but an excuse for not having to go again. You know, yeah, it's, it's something of a rationalization that I have found ordinarily, ordinarily when people talk about I've had a bad experience, it's a, a convenient statement. It's more convenient than anything else to say, you know what, I don't need to go again. If you had a bad experience at a doctor's office, would you not go to the doctor again? Wouldn't you just try to find a better doctor, right? That's the answer. But why, when it comes to confession, would we say, I had a bad experience in the confessional with this priest. Now I somehow have a rationalization, a reason that is sufficient to say, I don't ever have to darken the doorway of a confessional again. But that's one of the reasons that's given. A second reason is, well, you know what? I went to confession when I was younger and I just didn't get anything out of it. You're talking about this powerful healing, this encounter with Christ, it's going to change our lives. Uh, that's foreign to me. So I haven't been in a long time because it just hasn't had any impact when I've gone. Well, if you followed along in these presentations, you're probably going to get at the source of, uh, of the reasons why confession hasn't been so powerful. Namely, you didn't have a full perspective about what was asked of you regarding how to prepare for confession, what's asked of you in the confessional, and then how what is required of you flows out of the confessional. Don't you remember what we talked about when we talked about making up for it, never doing it again? You see, the healing grace that God gives to us in the confessional, again, is one of those things that it's kind of like physical therapy. After you come out of the doctor's office, you got to do that therapy to work in the treatment that's going to bring you the restoration to health that the physical debilita uh, debilitating condition uh, you're there to overcome. So also in confession, if we isolate the act of going to confession and confessing from a broader perspective of living our lives as disciples in terms of preparing for and leading out of, then we will be missing out on the power of confession. That's the second reason. I didn't get much out of it. The third reason is, you know what? In my upbringing, I was brought up Catholic, we just didn't emphasize going to confession. We just didn't go much. And so there was a kind of a valuation or an evaluating of, of the importance or significance of confession that was just quite limited. You know, and so I, because it was limited in terms of our whole value of it, I just never really thought about it as an important part of being Catholic. That's probably the easiest to overcome. It's like, well, you know what? 
you don't have to settle for how you were brought up. You can recover or deepen your own appreciation for the sacrament all by itself. And then the last reason is, you know what? I went to confession one-on-one -on -one when I made my first reconciliation. But then since then, I've been going to these communal penance services. And when I go to a communal penance service, you know, that we say our prayers and we sing our songs and we think in our own minds of our sins. And we say we're sorry, but we then say a prayer. But then, you know, there's always too many people there and there aren't enough priests. And so I just, I, I, I've come away with the idea, or maybe I've been actually told that I didn't have to go one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. And so I was basically given a way out through these communal penance services from ever actually having to make the face-to-face -face confession. Well, again, all I can say is hopefully, hopefully, as a result of walking with me through these presentations or reading the book, you've realized that confession isn't simply about a requirement when you've committed a certain kind of serious sin, but it's a recommended practice that brings incredible spiritual benefits that in fact help shape your whole way of looking at your life. So again, my hope would be that you'd be able to overcome maybe even the way you've been pastored in the last decade or years or decades of your life regarding the place of the sacrament in terms of its fundamental importance, living out our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, those are all the things that we bring to the current moment. But I have to say that I haven't been to a long uh, confession in a long time. How can I face my parish priest? Now, what you mean by that, what people typically mean by that is, you know, I haven't been to confession, and, but I'm on the parish council. I'm a Eucharistic minister. Uh, I, I'm on the finance council. Uh, Father knows me and my family. And if I show up in confession and I say to him, Father, I haven't been in 20 years. I haven't been in five years. I haven't been in 30 years. That's just embarrassing. How can I face that? I don't want to face that. It'll be embarrassing. What if he gets upset at me, right? So let's take these things one at a time. Let me just simply say that. Father, no matter how well he knows you, he's not going to be mad at you. Let me just say there are fewer than 20 priests in the whole country that would ever get mad at you in the confessional. Now, I would love priests to become more passionate in the pulpit. Passionate in the pulpit, a passionate plea to come and access the healing grace of God in this sacrament. I would love to hear more homilies about the importance of making a regular confession as part of your own uh, life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's something that I could hope for. But let me just say that if you think that you would be experiencing embarrassment, that Father is going to feel a sense of shame that you haven't been in a long time, let me tell you, it's going to be the it's going to be more like Luke 15 when the father welcomes home the prodigal son. He's going to be thrilled. He's absolutely going to be thrilled that you've come home, that you've come to this place, this place of life-giving water, of refreshment for your soul, of restoration and being setting free. At the end of the day, if you don't believe me and it's still too much to overcome that obstacle, do you know what your pastor would say? Please, if I'm going to be the obstacle to your coming back to confession, please find someone who won't be. Find a priest at a local parish, a nearby parish. Find a priest that you've heard is a, uh, a, uh, a good confessor, someone who does this. If you're not sure who that is, go to someone that you, you know 
uh, that you think uh, understands the, the sacrament and makes a regular confession, ask them for a recommendation, right? There are ways for you to find a priest that wouldn't be considered an obstacle, someone you don't know, if you feel like that's going to be the obstacle. And then once you cross that barrier, then guess what? Hopefully, you'll feel better about going to your own priest. One last note about this, and that is, well, will the priest have a bad impression of me? Will the priest feel like, you know, I, uh, I'm really shocked that, you know, Tom confesses those sins? Um, I would say that uh, priests have this grace of forgetting. It's, it's one way that I've heard priests talk about it. They have this grace of forgetting where they're in the moment, they're listening, and they're ministering forgiveness. When that person is gone, it's as if the memory of the sin is gone as well. They're just now focused on the next one. They're not keeping a catalog in their heads of what Betty said and Jim said and Bill said and Susie said. This isn't how they're approaching the sacrament. Not that there couldn't be a priest that approaches it like that, but I love that what I've heard priests talk about, this grace of forgetting. Well, let's go to the fourth one. What should I expect when I go in to confession? What should I expect? Now, this is, uh, this is important, especially if you haven't been in a long time. Uh, it, first of all, it depends on the way that the confessional or the reconciliation room, those are two different names, are actually found in your parish. Look around in your church. You'll probably find it. Not that difficult. It's typically in the back of the church. And it's either going to be uh, a more traditional looking confessional with a door in the middle and then two doors, typically one on each side for the penitent to go in and then come out. And then the next one goes in and comes out and you're there and, and you're kneeling in, in an enclosed space. And then there'll be uh, some kind of uh, little door that slides. And, and then that would be the, uh, the place for you to confess. Or it would be a, a reconciliation room. That's what, they, uh, that's what they're typically called now. And if you walked into this single door, you'll find that uh, in many cases, there's an option. Sometimes they may not be, and you can find out about that. But the option would be that when you walk in, you'll see a screen. It'll be kind of like a screen, and you'll see what's the, there'll be holes in the screen. And you'll see on the other side of the screen that there's a, there's a priest sitting there facing uh, perpendicular to you. And there's a kneeler there. And you can go kneel, and you can um, confess your sins in a way that's more traditional. Or there's a chair facing the priest. And you can go and you can face the priest and you can confess your sins that way. Now, which is right for you? What's going to be the way for you to proceed? Let me just say that it's, it's probably going to be associated with everything from personal history to personal formation. If in your history you're accustomed to and feel inclined towards understanding the sacrament from the standpoint of what you are there to do, which is to confess, then you might be more inclined to kneel down as a, hum, a sign of humility and to focus in on the act of confessing, of accusing yourself. That's really what the, uh, the more traditional kind of confessional fosters, is that sense of, I am here to accuse myself, to confess with sorrow and petition for forgiveness. If you go and choose to sit in the chair, that has a tendency to emphasize more the act of reconciling. I'm facing the priest who is there to represent Christ and the church. And in doing so, the priest is there looking me in the eyes to hear my confession and to extend the grace of reconciliation. 
God's mercy forgives me of my sins, yes, that I'm confessing, but restores me into the relationship. Which one is more suitable for you? Choose. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. Now, one last thing about this, uh, the reconciliation room versus the confessional. There's a third option. And that third option is in particular, it could be important if you've been away for a long time and uh, you're wondering, okay, I'm afraid that if I go to confession, I'm going to take an hour. I, I, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yeah, I bet if you look at your bulletin that you'll see in the bulletin that your parish produces, it'll say confessions Saturdays at four o'clock or Saturdays before the, the, um, the Sunday mass that is anticipated on Saturday evening or by appointment. Now, what that means is that the priest is open to having you approach him personally or go to the secretary and say, I would like to set up an appointment to meet with father. You can ask for a time to meet with father and if this person is asking a question that you don't feel comfortable with, just go to Father and say, Father, could I meet with you? I want to go to confession. And that confession may happen in his office or, you know, in a space that he has set aside in his office for you to be able to confess. That you know, Why would you want to do that? Well, if you haven't been in a long time, you can feel like you've got a peaceful pace, you've got time. And not only that, but uh, if you have a lot that you're going to confess, you might feel like, well, I'm going to forget something. And I can feel a lot of pressure if I'm, I'm in line with other people. You can make a list of your sins. You know, if you haven't been to the doctors in a long time, at the beginning of this year, I went to the doctor's office. You know what I brought with me? A piece of paper. Why? I had like 10 things I wanted to go over. And I wanted to make sure that when I was in there, I was going to cover each of those things so that I could have things diagnosed and treated as needed. Same thing with confession. If you haven't been in a long time, make the appointment and bring a list. Which brings me to the next question, which is, what do I say when I first go into the confessional? You know, what, what do I do? Right? And this is one of those things where you haven't been in a long time. You feel like, okay, I'm walking in here. What's going to happen? Well, I already talked about the structuring of the confessional. Okay, now you're in your seat or you're kneeling or you made your appointment and you're in the office. Well, what's the first thing that I do? Well, Father is going to, first of all, if you, if you don't ever know, if you're not sure, and maybe you forget what's going what's gonna to happen because uh, you don't have this book with you or this presentation in your mind. You say, Father, I haven't been here in a long time and I don't know how this goes. Trust me, Father's going to welcome you and he will guide you through it. But let me walk you through it right now. The first thing that Father will do is he will ask you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. He'll do that. And then he'll extend some kind of blessing to you. Peace be with you. The Lord be with you. In fact, he may even do some kind of reading of scripture as a way of setting the context of letting God's word speak to that moment to bring you a sense of peace, to help you have a vision of, of the healing encounter with the good shepherd that's about to happen. So sometimes a priest will do that. And if you hear a proclamation from a scripture, thanks be to God. Or if it's the gospel, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, you can just move with the flow of it. That's if a priest were to do that. But when the priest is done welcoming you and speaking a word or a prayer of welcome uh, or of helping set the context, is that appropriate for you to say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned? Or in some places, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then you announce the time it's been since your last confession. Now, if you haven't been in 
12 years and eight months and seven days. You don't need to figure that out calendar-wise. Father, I haven't been in a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean sometime in my early 20s. There you go. As simple as that. I haven't been, Father, in decades. Or I haven't been in a year or six months. Again, this isn't going to become a problem. This will only be a problem the first time you go. Once you make a regular practice of confession, you'll be able to say, Father, I haven't been in two months. It'll be a more regular practice, and this idea of extension of time is going to be much less of a concern. After that is the time for you to confess your sins. Now, I've already talked a lot in the course of these seven sessions about how you do that. Uh, you remember in particular in the third session, uh, second or third session, I talked about the attributes, the 16 attributes of saying I did it from St. Thomas Aquinas. So I won't be reviewing all of that now, but I do recommend that you uh, be not only thinking about your sins, but you think about how to confess them. After you can finish confessing your sins, Father may offer some words of counsel. He might ask for some clarifications. Uh, and that, that clarifications are very just typically associated with if I'm too vague, right? If you say, uh, you go into the confessional and you say, Father, I've committed a sin against the fifth commandment. You know, thou shalt not kill. He might want a little clarification about what you mean. You know, can, can you give me a little more content there? I'm not exactly sure what you're confessing. And so there may be, that may occur, but again, if you prepared well, then that's not going to typically occur. What he'll do is, in listening, he might draw out a common theme or a particular point, offer some counsel, maybe even offer a little bit of guidance, some encouragement to you. And then at that point, he'll ask you to make a good act of contrition or pray an act of contrition. It's not difficult for you to find a good act of contrition. And when you're done praying that prayer, oh, typically confessionals will have an act of contrition there that you can read if you want. After the priest does that, he will then uh, extend his hand if you're behind the screen, or he may in fact put his hands on your shoulders or on your head as a sign of communicating blessing, as a sign of extending grace, the grace of absolution. And then he'll pray a very beautiful prayer. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You say amen. And then the priest will dismiss you. Have a good day. Go in peace. Uh, you say thank you, Father. Thanks be to God. And also with you. Simple. A simple uh, little response at the end. D dismissal and response. And then you, you get up and you leave. Okay, well, if that's all good going in, how do I prepare well to go in? How do I prepare for confession? Now, in our tradition, there are typically two ways of talking about the concept of preparation. The first is what's called remote preparation, and the second is called proximate preparation. Remote preparation is essentially the preparation for the sacrament that we do with our whole lives, right? The remote preparation for the sacrament of holy orders is six to eight years in the seminary. The remote preparation for going to confession is what I call living a confessional life. If you, in fact, live a confessional life by striving to live out those five sentences, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again, you're going to be doing things like expressing sorrow rooted in love, contrition. You'll be doing things like 
doing penance, uh, denying yourself to mortify, to, uh, to, to train spiritually, ascetical practices. You'll also be doing things like an examination of conscience as a regular spiritual practice. These are the remote preparation for confession. You do these things and you'll find your life flowing towards confession. Well, what about pre preparing exactly for confession? Well, let's say you have in the intention of going to confession on Saturday. Earlier in the week, let's say Tuesday, you might want to begin to be intentional about setting aside time, planned, thoughtful, get it on your calendar. And my prayer time today, I'm going to begin to prepare for confession on Saturday. Not only do I make my normal examination of conscience, but as a way of preparing for confession, I'm going to begin to hold in mind the thought, I'm going to confession on Saturday. And then you can make a bit more of a rigorous examination of conscience in your very prayer time. Well, how can you do that? Everything from reading the penitential Psalms that I've talked about, like Psalm 51, reading the catechism, in particular, the third part of the catechism on the Ten Commandments, that section in the third part of the catechism. Uh, those would be great ways for you, or even um, having an examination of conscience, getting one of those in, in some form online. But that should be easy enough for you to get. You can just type it into a search engine, examination of conscience, you'll get a whole bunch of them. Oftentimes parishes have one available in their literature rack, or maybe even connected with uh, the uh, confessional itself. And so these would be the essential ways that we can make a good examination of conscience. But that's something that we do in particular. That's something that we do when we are, in fact, um, leading up to the day of confession. Okay, now the day of confession itself. Guess what? When I'm going to confession, I'm typically not alone. And so I know that I have to plan well to make sure that I'm going to get the kids ready to go in the car at the right time. And when we go to the church, I better already be in a prayerful mode because I have no guarantee <laughs> that when I get to the church, my youngsters are going to be cooperative and quiet and settled in the pew while I'm waiting in line to go to confession. And so we've got to plan well. So I try to, if you will, set yourself up for success. Now, many of you might be able to go by yourself. That's wonderful. My recommendation is make sure that you clear out some time before the time you want to get to confession. Why? Something is going to crowd in. Not something might. Expect it. Some obstacle is going to get jammed in your way to give you a way out from going to confession. You don't feel well, someone else doesn't feel well, someone is on the phone, oh, there's this activity that you're engaged in right now, expect the obstacle to get in your way. And so then I, another thing that I would say is this, if you know confessions begin at four and they're gonna go until 4.50 because there's mass at five and father needs to get over and get ready for mass, don't think that you're gonna be able to show up at 4.40 and kind of sneak in at the end, and then you're going to be there and just go to Mass afterwards. As likely as not, you're going to get there at 440. There's going to be six people in line in front of you. And then when you're going to get up there, Father's going to have to come popping out at 452, saying, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. Please come back next week. Plan well. How about how often? How often should I go to confession? Well, 
This is where I'm not going to lean so much on my own experience, but on the experience of the saints and of the, uh, the great recent popes we've had. When they talk about regular confession, and I've already mentioned this in an earlier talk, they're talking about every couple of months, every month. And there's one priest I respect who even encourages an even more frequent practice of confession, like every couple of weeks. And you might say to yourself, boy, this seems very unrealistic. I mean, I haven't gone in decades, and now I'm supposed to do this every two months or every month or even maybe more than that. All I can say to you is this. The more that this vision of your life as a confession of faith in the glory of God and in the light of that glory, an awareness of your own littleness before God and the desire that you have to live entirely for God, according to these five sentences that will heal your life, the more that you'll find yourself living a confessional life day to day, and the concept of going to confession is just going to be the most natural thing. It's not going to be something that is going to be a disruption from ordinary spiritual practice that is a necessary evil or just a burden because I've tripped over that serious sin line and or I've got that level of shame in me that I've just got to overcome and now I've got to somehow go deal with that. Confession isn't supposed to be some kind of emergency room treatment that's on the margins of the spiritual life that you can somehow just leave there and deal with only as necessary. No, it's a regular part of your spiritual life. And it will be so if you're living a confessional life, that life according to the five sentences. Last question, how will I feel after confession? The answer is normally, hopefully, you will feel great. Not just relief, like thanks be to God, that's done with, but you'll experience consolation. Well, those are the nine questions. I want to do one final thing in, this, uh, in the time that I have with you uh, on this um, final program. And that is just take a little look about the experience of writing this book. Um, writing is not something that I've ever found to be something that was done easily. I love communicating. But for me, that means communicating in speech, primarily giving talks or on the radio. The concept of writing, I always associated with my studies. And my theological studies, especially at the doctoral level, were very rigorous and had a kind of scholarly standard. And the very people I read, for me, just created this kind of internal, I hate to use a, a kind of a spiritual word like bondage, <laughs> but let's just say, wasn't a happy place for me to try to write a book. And yet I felt a call to write the book. And, you know, for me, that's just such a gift to think that we get to spend our sort of best energy in life, you know, our gifts and talents, put them at the service of Catholics to literally invite them, to help draw them back into this uh, encounter with Christ that's going to heal them. I mean, to think about that, it's a really, it's a humbling thing to think that this book might be a vessel that God uses to draw people back to him and back to the practice of this sacrament. You know, for me, that's, wow, what a, what a humbling thing, and yet we see it happening. And so what my hope is in, in doing the book and then in doing this series live on the internet, our goal is to bring you a message that we believe is really at the heart of what the church has to say about confession, about the sacrament of reconciliation, that you might in the end run to it and not run from it. That's our prayer for you, and we hope that God answers that prayer. Thanks so much.